1: Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and so glad you've decided to join us for a discussion on all things green and all things growing. We've had some talks already about some things that are upcoming for this season as we transition, well, out of summer and into fall or autumn. Of course, we're going to expect a lot of things to change with our plants and the garden as a whole. Uh, We'll be seeing some great fall color. We've talked about some plants that provide you with fall color. And, of course, those leaves are going to turn brown, fall to the ground. And we talked about some plants that are spectacular, even with no leaves on them, with exfoliating barks or uh, colorful stems over winter, like red twig dogwood and the coral bark Japanese maples. These are things that even without... Uh, leaves on them they still are quite colorful so you know a lot of things are going to be changing soon changing uh, atmosphere the climate is going to be different temperatures are lower it's chilly in the mornings hopefully this will stay looking at a 45 day forecast maybe there's just a couple of days of low 80s but otherwise i think it's going to be comfortable but be sure, you know, weather changes by the hour, and so be sure to always uh, keep your radio on here on WRWH 93.9 FM because you're going to get up-to-date weather and, of course, all things news and whatnot. But on Saturdays, it is our day to talk about the landscape and the garden, the vegetable garden, the uh, Uh, perennial borders, shrubs, trees, all of the things that you love to grow because they look beautiful or taste beautiful, taste wonderful. That's what we like to talk about here. And kind of going into a, getting ready to go into a new season, yes, we'll be looking for seasonal plants like uh, mums and ornamental cabbages, ornamental kales, uh, all the greenery, and then, of course, some other blooming plants like uh, certain uh, pansies, violas, uh, these annual things that we love to grow in the South over winter. And uh, poppies. There's a great uh, uh, great winter poppy that you need to try to look for. Hopefully you can find that in your local garden center. But there's, all, there's a whole world of plants that we can grow over winter because we have generally mild winter weather. And it's just a wonderful place to be and to grow. But with this changing of the season, preparing to change seasons, it may mean Uh, a a new start on changing the way that we do things in our landscapes and of course one of the things we can do in our landscapes that uh, takes a little more effort maybe is to grow a bit more organically to grow a bit more naturally if you will and really uh, it does come down to just a little bit of effort a little more attention because a lot of the things that you can do to uh, position your garden and your landscape to be a, a bit more maybe environmentally friendly backing off on some chemicals and sprays and all uh is, is just looking out and seeing you know there's maybe not a magic solution a magic bottle of something we've got to get if we want to grow organically and maybe more naturally we've got to get out of the mindset of rushing to the shed for a spray bottle of something, a pesticide, a herbicide, a, a bactericide, we've got to get out of the habit of running for that bottle every time we see one little problem and anticipating problems, maybe understanding certain pests a bit more. It takes a little bit more effort, I think. Uh, not a magic solution, of course, but. It is fun and it's exciting along the way because, of course, you'll be learning more about how your garden works and how things uh, happen in the landscape. So today's program is talking about the principles, uh, some principles you can take away for gardening organically or organic gardening. And I think that you'll find as we go through these that uh, they're, they're simple things simple things. Um, But it's a whole new kind of mindset, trying to, uh, again, to use that analogy one more time, uh, just not rushing to the pesticide whenever we see a critter creeping or crawling around. We need to know what we're dealing with first and maybe know how to uh, handle it. Really, uh, you know, I, I guess if we were to draw a line between Not organic gardening and organic gardening. It's really a difference in using sprays less or not at all. That's really what it comes down to. We're still going to be cultivating the soil. We're still going to be digging holes to plant our plants in. We're still going to be mulching. We're still going to be uh, doing the things to get the plants in place. But then what do we do through the season through the season of growing, or what do we do differently when we're talking about organic gardening from year to year. And so we'll give you some good, easy-to-remember principles. Uh, We've got, I think, 10 of them here. Hopefully we can get through them all, but you can make a note of them, write them down to remind you, uh, if you are looking to maybe growing a bit more green, that's kind of what the uh, lingo is, I suppose, growing a bit more green, uh, making a purposeful statement and intention to back off on using certain sprays you know I don't like to spray I don't think any any farmer would like to spray Uh, it's uh, it's an expense chemicals are expensive they're becoming more expensive and so um, looking at that it's not something that probably anybody wants to do but of course one of the reasons why commercial farmers and growers, horticulturalists, uh, may use chemistries is because they do depend on livelihood. Uh, their garden, you know, you and I may not be growing our gardens as an income, but they are, and that may be one reason why uh, they choose to use certain pesticides, even though they're they're expensive. That that is a thing. Another reason may be using, uh, say, pesticides in place of. People to pull weeds, to eliminate weeds. That may be another reason because, of course, the cost of labor may be higher than the cost of applying certain of these pesticides. And, of course, um, if you are using pesticides, you just follow the instructions. You may not necessarily have to have a huge knowledge of what you're doing uh what you're looking for you know you may need more knowledge in planning and thinking ahead and looking for problems where pesticide grab the bottle and you use it so making sure that we're educating ourselves goes a long way uh if we're trying to get away from running to the shed for for that uh that bottle of whatever you may have and so yes there are reasons that of course um Growers, commercial growers in particular may be using them and local farmers as well as homeowners alike. You have your own reasons for doing these things and using these things. But again, maybe if we all looked a bit, we, we could save the expense of using buying pesticides and using these things and try to do more preventing of problems or try to let nature work itself out. Let the good insects attack the bad insects. Promote the good insects. Because anytime we're using pesticides, generally it's there are some selective pesticides, things that, of course, are going to uh, only kill a certain group of insects and maybe leave the others alone. But in most cases... Insecticides is kind of fair game with most of the common things you would find on the garden center shelf or the box store garden center shelf. Uh, Many of these pesticides are just going to be a kill all. And you may not need to kill all things. You're just looking to control that one organism that is multiplying, taking over your tomato crop or taking over your corn or taking over your begonias or whatever. You know, we don't want to just throw a blanket out, and destroy all nature. So we can use nature to our benefit and, of course, try to have nature attack the things we're looking to get rid of. So today we're going to talk about some principles uh, for organic gardening, things that you can uh, start to do now, you can start to do this weekend. I would encourage you to dedicate a uh, notebook or maybe a Word document or however you prefer to keep notes Dedicate a space that you can write and remember how what's going on at certain times of the year. I know it's probably easier said than done. Maybe you do um, with our smartphones, you use your camera and you walk around noting problems and actually taking pictures uh, or video of the problems you see this year. Because if you have a problem this year, you can almost expect that problem to return the following year, unless something. Is changed unless you do something different and be intentional about that. So, as we go through these principles for organic gardening, you'll find a common thread, which a lot of it is to know what you're dealing with, uh, expect to have to do something. Uh, breaking life cycles and certain pests or uh, diseases, and then, of course, maybe doing some research on figuring out the life cycle, figuring out what this uh, problem is and how you might be able to prevent it or stop it from happening in the future. So, like I said, there's a common thread through all these, uh, but they all do focus on different aspects of the garden, and really, they're practical. They're things we can use, not just things we learn and never use but things we learn and actually can put them into place this first principle for organic gardening is basically to choose plants or plant varieties that have fewer pest problems you see, if you're, when you are planning your garden, when you're planning your landscape, be sure to ask the local uh, experts, be sure to ask the county extension agent, be sure to uh, m- maybe find online blogs that are in our region. Of course, coming to New Southern Garden is a good place as well. Uh, your local nurseries, your local garden centers. And ask them about plants and varieties that don't usually require a large input of pesticides you see growing growing a garden in the southeast in particular is difficult we can grow a lot of things and i talk about this all the time that you know this part of the world the southern u.s southeastern u.s really uh growing growing in this part of the world is a wonderful place it's almost like god said you can plant anything down here because we almost can but we do have a lot of rain, which is good. We generally have maybe 52 inches. That's about a week, uh, sorry, and, um, an inch a week. And most plants need an inch of water. I mean, how perfectly it lines up. But we go through dry spells. We don't get it, an, you know, we don't always get an inch of water a week, but it totals on an average of 52 inches a year. But with that extra water comes the heat and the humidity. That can be a problem particularly for fast-growing populations of insects. And also, it can speed up the process of uh, the rapid growth, if you will, of the uh, diseases and whatnot. So be sure to look into research plants and varieties that have generally fewer pest problems in our area. Now, remember, if you've already planted some things and you discover that you've chosen a plant which requires a certain amount of pesticides to live and grow in our climate, then you might want to replace that plant, replace that crop or whatever it is you're growing with something that is a bit lower maintenance that doesn't require heavy sprays. It doesn't require, you know, so the idea is right plant for the right place is essentially what this step is about. And of course, Planting based on a good knowledge of selection, knowing what you're dealing with, is going to be critical when you're planting things like perennials or trees and shrubs in particular. You know, we are known as the peach state. We are known as the peach state here in Georgia. But peaches they grow okay here but they do take a lot of input on preventing diseases and preventing insects and so even though we're the peach state we're not the top place to be growing peaches but once you've planted a peach tree you're committed to it you know you can plant a tomato in the spring and by the end of summer it's gone it's an annual plant so when you're looking at perennial plants be sure to do the research as much as possible Because if you're planting a tree or shrub that may have to be in your space for decades, you may be dealing with problems for decades as well. So when we get back from this break, we're going to talk more on the principles, a few principles we've got here written down on how to grow a bit more organically, organic gardening, and some things, practical things that you can start doing this weekend. Hang on tight. We'll be right back with more. All right, gang, so today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about the principles, uh, about 10 principles uh, for organic gardening that you can take to your landscape, take to your vegetable gardens and use them uh, so that you're making wise decisions uh, without having to apply pesticides, without having to use maybe so much chemistries and all. And that first principle we talked about before the break, of course, was choosing plants and varieties with fewer pest problems, going ahead and doing the research up front, making sure that you are discovering things uh, that really are going to be easier to care for. Uh, So for instance, some, some plants have common problems and certain plants, certain varieties, certain cultivars, Maybe some hybrids, they may have pest resistance to those common pest problems. One of the best examples, of course, are tomatoes, because tomatoes, particularly, well, definitely down here in the south, but they can struggle with things like nematodes. Tomatoes can, uh, which is uh, really an, an, not a, a disease, we usually group it as disease, uh, but they are sort of more on the animal side, the pest side, not so much maybe uh, disease side. But regardless, once you get them, it's hard to get them out of the soil. It's essentially virtually impossible. Uh, you definitely couldn't plant susceptible tomatoes in that area again. Same with verticillium wilt and fusarium wilt. And now we have a number of varieties of tomatoes that you can easily plant that already have a that disease resistance or that nematode resistance bred into them so being sure that you're choosing plants and varieties that naturally have fewer pest problems is that first step now the next step of course might be to um to accept the fact and understand that healthy plants are less susceptible to pests in general but stressed plants may actually attract pests So this kind of comes down to your practices, the things that you're doing in your garden, in your soil. Uh, What what are you doing to encourage the growth of plants? Plants that are growing quickly, are healthy and happy, are going to be able to defend themselves better naturally rather than plants that, of course, are weak and puny and not growing. They're the ones that the pests are going to definitely be able to take over. So one step might be to, again choosing plants that are adapted that will grow well to our local climate that's why i think that buying plants from your local plant nursery or garden center is going to be a critical thing to think about Uh, not only are you benefiting local folks and your dollars are going right back into your community but of course if a plant is difficult to grow in our area or not well suited, then a grower in your area who does depend on their business as a livelihood, they're not going to take, take the effort to grow something uh, that takes them a, a, a lot of input and a lot of problems, uh, potential problems. Also, when you are at the garden center, Looking, looking for healthy plants is going to be critical. You know, I mean, the garden center, plant nursery, they have tons of plants to choose from. They've got a lot of work to do. There may be some plants that aren't top shelf, right? But looking for plants that don't have current pest infestations is going to be critical as well. Bringing a plant in that has insect problems, that has disease problems, is surely not going to benefit the other plants in your area. And another thing you need to do is to test the soil. Test your soil to make sure that the plants are going to receive the nutrients they need to stay healthy. And of course, you can have your soil tested at your local county extension office your extension agent will send your soil off to be tested at the university of georgia soil testing labs and you'll get a report in a matter of days on your email and it will tell you if you need to make some changes uh, for healthy plant growth and um, of course putting the plant where it needs to grow best if the plant needs a certain amount of light be sure to give it that certain amount of light if it needs six to eight hours of sun or more a day Put it in the sunny sites, but if your plants do need a break in the afternoon, them there and then maybe some plants prefer bright morning sun but afternoon shade that is a a great thing to be looking for and of course the water conditions if we allow particularly in summer our plants to get stressed because there's uh, not enough water in our soil we may need to consider uh, providing them with extra water or using plants that don't require so much water to start with um, and then, of course, uh, that would be step two. So healthy plants are less susceptible to pests, but stress plants may attract pests. Now, on, the, on a third note here... We need to always be anticipating problems. I mean, just like in our everyday lives, something pops up. You, you're late for work and you get caught in traffic. Well, if you maybe set the alarm earlier or didn't hit the snooze button uh, two extra times, then you might have been able to beat the traffic and not be late for work. Well, the same goes in the landscape. We want to anticipate problems by, number one, being finding out what pests are common in our area. What kinds of diseases do we normally see on certain plants? What kinds of insects would we expect to see on our tomato plants or our hydrangea plant which I rarely see uh, many pests on hydrangea plants but there is a bacteria that with wet soil hydrangeas can have these bacterial spots it doesn't usually kill them but it makes them look funny and then we rush out to spray the plant when really we just have to know that that particular bacteria shows up when wet soil is around and then of course we want to kind of look for plant varieties again that are resistant to regular pests so if we have aphids if we have those nematodes with the tomatoes use those varieties that um, uh, that are going to be resistant to those regular pests if you will and also with anticipating problems we need to learn the life cycles of the pests that we would expect what is the life cycle of the aphid what is the life cycle of a certain bacteria or a certain fungus in other words How do they get to your plant? How do they arrive to your plant? Uh, When do they normally arrive at your plant? Is this a disease that starts and shows up because uh, in the early spring it's cool and wet, and with the rain the soil is splashed up onto leaves and... That's how the, the fungus or disease gets there? Or uh, how are these insects? Are they flying here? Are they, are they hiding out in the soil underneath the mulch over winter? How and when do these p- problems arrive to your garden? That's critical to know. And another thing to know uh, when, it's con- when we're concerning the life cycle of these pests is at what stages of that pest life cycle are they most vulnerable uh, or maybe most protected. When when should we not try to eliminate them or deal with them? But when when is it that we can pick them off and they're gone? Or can we spray them with a hose with a, a high pressure water and that eliminates them? You see Plants, uh, sorry, pest. plant pests have certain uh, life cycles. Every pest is a little different. We go from an egg, we go to a nymph or larvae, a grub, then we go to maybe a, a, an adult, and then the adults lay more eggs, and there's this life cycle. And so each pest might be a little different. Each pest might require something different at a life cycle, and they may also be less protected, more vulnerable at a certain phase of their life cycle. And of course, we can find the research online. We can find research uh, in our gardening books. We can find research through our extension agent. And they can help guide us too uh, along the way as far as here's my problem. When do I need to address it? When is What time during their life cycle is most effective to try to deal with them? So again, a lot of this, like I said, has a similar thread. Choosing v- good plants for our area, knowing that they're going to perform well, but also knowing uh, if they have regular pests that come to them. Knowing those pests as well as possible so we can try to knock them out at certain phases of their life life cycle it is super easy and we've been doing this for a long time maybe some of us some of us have jumped on the organic wagon a long time ago but it is super easy for us to run to the shed and grab a bottle of spray of some kind to kill bugs but By doing that, we may be killing good bugs as well. And so these are just some simple things that we can learn, that we can put into practice to help try to alleviate the pressures of pests in our landscape without having to use a lot of chemistry. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk more principles for organic gardening. Hang on tight. So, gang, if you're just joining us this morning here on New Southern Garden, be sure to um, check out NewSouthernGarden.com because, of course, this episode, today's show, will be posted there Uh, In a few short hours, and of course, you will be able to find all of the episodes, all the shows we've ever had since we started New Southern Garden. Uh, We hope that you'll find it as a treasure trove of good gardening information and encouragement uh, and, and maybe just something to spur you to try something new, something different. And so today we are talking about principles for organic gardening, growing things a little more naturally. Now we can employ these principles to both the vegetable garden and of course, the ornamental landscape. Now, every area in the garden can have potential problems. Any area is up for, uh, for debate on that because uh, these are living organisms and other living organisms may want to attack our gardens. And But we do find that maybe in the vegetable garden, that's where we see a lot of activity with pest insects, disease, what, what have you, because those are highly productive plants. There are, of course, a number, <laughs> a number of things that would be quite attractive, whether it's juicy, succulent leaves and stems or fruits, flowers. There's all kinds of things in the vegetable garden. And so a lot of times we think of organic gardening just as Strictly practices for the vegetable garden, but it goes both ways because you will find pests on ornamental things as well. And so before the break, we were talking about these first principles. Choosing plants and varieties with fewer pest problems was number one. Number two is remembering that healthy plants are less susceptible to pests, but stressed plants may actually attract plants. pests (laughs) and then number three was to anticipate problems anticipate problems making sure that we know what pests are common in our area and what pests may be common on certain plants understanding the life cycles of those pests so you know how they get there when they might get there and at what phase of their life cycle it might be wisest to try to eliminate them or have them removed and then number four, of course, is to scout for pest problems regularly. Actually, we should just say scout for problems regularly in general because it may not just be problems of an insect or problems of a disease. It could be problems with weather. It could be problems with a tree limb falling. It's all kinds of problems you might anticipate happening in your landscape and in your gardens. Remember, when it comes to pests, it is much easier to manage young, pet, young insects and small populations rather than trying to deal with adult insects in large numbers. So scouting regularly, you don't have to necessarily put it on the calendar and a reminder on your phone maybe. you Anytime you're out in your landscape or maybe you get home from work and you're just going to go enjoy things, while you're looking at the beautiful things you see in your landscape, be sure to be looking for the not so beautiful. Be sure to be looking for the pest problems. Be looking for small little eggs under leaves. Don't just look at the top of a plant, but actually look under leaves and along stems because those are areas where pests may tend to hide. Or if you start to see some spots forming on a few leaves, knowing that you have a problem early is better than trying to deal with a problem once it's taken over so scouting regularly for pest problems is a good idea when we're in the summer you probably would want to scout and look around your plants for about three times a week if you can do it on a monday wednesday friday or maybe once on the weekends and twice during the week that would be a good idea because things happen rapidly in warm weather Overwinter, we're not really so concerned with pest problems, but there are those cases where we might see some issues happening. But really, in the warm growing season, be sure to be out there looking for problems as much as possible at least three times a week. And like I said, to reiterate, look at the whole plant. Look along the leaves, look under the leaves, look at the stems, look near the soil to see if you see some things maybe happening at the root system. Or sometimes there are big pests like moles and voles, maybe even rabbits that may do damage down low. Uh, There was one case where uh, this A person had an apple tree just all of a sudden die and it was brought into the nursery and when they brought it in they said it just came out of the ground super easy and at the end of the apple tree stem where the roots should have been was a pointed spear where something had been chewing and gnawing much like a beaver might do but it Probably was a vole because it was very close to the ground, nearly under the ground, because you couldn't see the problem from above. You had to look below, so be sure to look at least right near the soil where you mulch, and you can also find maybe potential problems happening there. So number five is to practice good sanitation. Now, this is something that can help everybody, can help all of us, whether you intend to grow organically or not. This is just good practice. Sanitation, of course, is cleaning up diseased material. If there is spent plant material that has um, been diseased uh, or maybe it's on the verge of being diseased, you can tell it's starting to uh, get some disease on it, remove that from the plant. Don't allow diseased material to hang out on the plant. If we did more of that scouting, looking for problems like this, and we can remove diseased or dying or dead material, that could help us dramatically with keeping things uh We're keeping things healthy without having to use sprays and whatnot. You know... Definitely in the vegetable garden, you will see this. If you have, say, early blight on tomatoes down low, we should really always keep our tomatoes a bit tree-like with no limbs, no branches hanging down very low, touching soil because that's how certain blights and certain spots can form. So keeping those leaves up off the ground, but definitely if they've already gotten a touch of disease to remove them. But in the ornamental side um, with trees and shrubs, Trees and shrubs can handle uh, rot and decay very well. They compartmentalize rot and decay. But any time we start to get rot, that is going to, of course, compromise the health of the tree and could cause long-term problems, the tree failing or the shrub failing. So being sure that if there's a dead branch on a tree or a dead branch on a shrub, removing that so that the plant can heal. It can heal off that dead branched area. It won't be able to heal as long as the dead Branches there and the dead branch is going to start decomposing and decaying, and it's going to go right into the main trunk of the tree or the shrub. So good sanitiz, good sanitation is is, is a wonderful thing to do, particularly because over winter, when we get to the end of fall, like this time of year. We need to pull out any decay that may have happened. We need to pull out any disease that may have occurred. Because a lot of pests, particularly diseases, they can harbor in the soil. They can harbor in that crop debris. Now, that doesn't mean you have to remove all the debris, just really disease debris. Healthy debris that had died back naturally can be left to rot on the ground. It can be left to decompose and it will help increase organic matter in the soil. But if it's diseased, we need to pull it out and burn that or have it sent off somewhere. Don't keep it in your compost pile. Don't ever keep disease material in your compost pile. Well, number six is another step to preventing disease and that is using crop rotation. The idea here is to not plant the same type of plants in the same place each year. And here's a good example, a current example, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. We, of course, are a plant nursery. We uh, sell plants and containers to put in your landscape and your vegetable gardens and annual beds. Uh, wherever you want to put plants, we've got them in pots. But this year we started a cut flower farm uh, down in a certain area in an open field and We mainly planted dahlias and zinnias. Well, it never fails. When you have that many plants that are so closely related, we've got a ton of zinnias right now, and they do start to spread and share diseases. So we're noticing these things. We're trying to trim out what we can, keep cut back uh, what is showing disease. But next year, we're not going to be able to plant a field full of zinnia because we have a few diseased areas, and we're going to have to rotate the crop. So we'll go into something else, probably still be able to plant dahlias um, a little differently. But the idea in the vegetable garden in particular is if you grow corn in the same area every year, That's eventually going to, well, first of all, deplete the soil of a lot of nutrients because corn is a heavy feeder. Uh, But if there's a disease problem, year after year, you just build up the the amount of disease, maybe the amount of insects to some degree, that are overwintering and harboring in the soil. And eventually, you won't really be able to grow corn there uh, year after year. So remember, like with the tomato example, if you grew tomatoes in a certain area this year and you grow them there next year, you might start to see. Certain disease problems, especially if you had disease problems this year. So, rotating your crops, and you can find good resources through Cooperative Extension and UGA and uh, other land grant universities that are putting out information about growing things, and they may even give you uh, a certain template, if you will, or a certain recipe. What should you follow each crop with? How should you rotate your crops? We are thinking about plants that are not closely related, that share the same diseases. Uh, We're not going to plant those in the same area every year. And also, we're going to rotate our crops depending on the amount of nutrition they use as well. Uh, Number six, let's see, number six is to encourage natural controls. Encourage natural controls. Now, this is really biological warfare. What we're talking about when we talk about natural controls is allowing nature to defeat nature okay so if we have bad insects in our landscape or in our vegetable gardens then promoting good insects what you and i would call good insects ladybugs are wonderful predators we talked about uh, predatory insects and of course beneficial insects a few weeks ago you can find more details about that at new southerngarden.com but uh if you If you grow a lot of blooming flowers and herbs, that generally is going to attract beneficial insects. And I love to walk through the greenhouse at the nursery and see ladybugs on leaves because they are making a home inside the greenhouse. And now when we have an aphid problem, uh, when we have maybe a whitefly problem, we know that we have some biological controls going on uh, right in front of us this is biological warfare that's where uh, certain uh, naturally occurring critters are eating other naturally occurring critters so being sure to encourage natural controls planting uh trap crops may be a good idea a trap crop is sort of the opposite end where you're planting living material that may attract certain pests greater than the plants in your landscape or in your vegetable garden. It sort of pulls those bad insects into itself. They'll consume that and maybe, hopefully, spare your beloved plants, your desired plants. And then moving along to the next step on principles for organic gardening is to use mechanical controls. We probably won't have enough time to get through this step. We'll have to hit it up on the other side of this break. But mechanical controls are physical things that you can do or employ or implement or tools you can use to encourage or discourage, I should say, to discourage pest problems. One of the first things is a row cover. Now, a row cover is a, a simple covering over over the top of a plant at a certain time when pests may be coming through you simply lay this row cover across the top of your plants it doesn't harm the plants but it keeps out keeps out the bad things things it keeps out the bad insects Uh, particularly this works well with insects but when we get back from this break i've got some more ideas about how to control mechanically or mechanically control uh, your crops and keeping insects away so hang on tight through this break we'll be right back So, gang, today on New Southern Garden, we are talking about the 10 principles for organic gardening. Now, there's just ten things here. There, of course, are plenty of other things we need to probably learn and understand when we're trying to transition away from running to the shed and grabbing a pesticide or spraying something on our plant to trying to let nature handle nature. And that's where we left off before the break. We were talking about encouraging natural controls. And, of course, uh, number eight is to use mechanical controls. Now, these are physical things that you can do to your plants or add to your plants to try to alleviate and prevent prevent pest problems. Uh, we talked about the row cover, which of course is something that's going to cover over the top of your plants at a certain time. You've got to have some information on the pest you anticipate to make sure you're covering the row so pests cannot get to your crop. But of course, another very simple but maybe laborious uh, mechanical control is handpicking handpicking these are both practical on a small scale maybe not a large garden or a huge uh, vegetable patch but they definitely are quite effective pulling insects off of plants and disposing of them now using water a spray of water we Talked about that earlier, but this would be categorized as a mechanical control. You've just got to make sure that the plant you're going to spray with a high-power blast of water, Uh, probably not necessary to pull out the pressure washer. That's probably too high for any plant. You'll be blowing leaves off. But if it's a rigid, uh, very structural plant that can handle a strong blast from a hose pipe, then that can eliminate certain pest problems, at least removing them from, from the plant itself. And then, of course, tilling. Uh, There's a lot of reasons why we may till. One of them is to destroy weeds. So mechanically turning soil over before you plant, uh, or of course, you don't have to use a tiller. You can use a shovel and your back. (laughs) But regardless, trying to eliminate weeds that way is quite effective. But there are plenty of insects in the soil that tilling can help to destroy that phase of their life cycle um, because you're exposing them to the top of the surface. They may like to be down. Down below, But by tilling, you're turning them over, putting them into the elements, into the sunlight, and that can, uh, of course, help alleviate certain pest problems. But if you have pest problems that do spend life, a certain amount of their life under the soil, be sure you know when they'll be in the soil so that you are tilling at the right time. Now, Principle number nine is utilizing cultural controls. So things you may be doing in your landscape that may either encourage or hopefully discourage insects. Uh, one of those is planting at the right time. Planting at uh, a peak of pest population is probably not a good idea. If you are planting at a time when uh, pest pr- pressure is so high, then those new plants will probably suffer from those Those pests, there's nothing more discouraging uh, when you're planting. I mean, planting is one of the funnest things, isn't it? Having young baby plants, putting them in the ground. But then, of course, you're discouraged because it was at a time when pest problems were high. You plant one day and you come out the next and completely demolished by pests. So be sure that you are planting at the right time as far as a cultural control goes. And then, of course, mulching. Mulching is a cultural task that we get into. We want to, of course, increase carbon in our soil, but moderate the temperature of the soil, hold moisture into the soil, and mulch can actually help keep plants healthy, and it does help to control some pests, particularly when we talk about soil-borne diseases, diseases that come from the soil. If you leave your soil bare, then when water hits the earth, whether you're irrigating or it rains, uh, that water will surely splash soil up onto your plant's leaves and possibly infect them with a soil borne disease. Not many people mulch their vegetable gardens. My grandfather didn't, of course his vegetable garden was two acres <laughs> uh, but I I have a much smaller vegetable garden, and I do like, after planting, I do like to mulch the vegetable garden, whether you're using uh, rotted compost and, and, and manure, whatever, maybe you're making a mix of some kind of uh, compost, uh, but also wood chips. Those those will last you through the season and can easily be incorporated into the soil uh, when you're planting the next year. Um, and then, of course, we sort of mentioned this before, but it is a cultural practice, is avoiding Plants or plant varieties that naturally come with a lot of pest problems. Using varieties, choosing plants. That's really, folks, that's where it's going to start. I mentioned earlier that these practices or principles, they have a common thread. And it all boils down to right plant, right place, doesn't it? Now, the last principle for organic gardening that I have for you today is to use chemical controls sparingly. Now, an organic, that's quote-unquote, an organic listing, uh, if, it, if a product says it is organic, it doesn't eliminate all risks. Obviously, if you have to use some kind of spray, uh, you would want to be looking for those natural things, uh, maybe like soaps. Horticultural soaps, horticultural oils, neem oil. Start with the oils and the soaps. Just don't use the oils in the middle of summer when it's super hot because it's like putting butter on your skin. It just bakes the plant, uh, potentially could. And then, of course, when we're looking at some other things like pyrethrin, which comes from plants, uh, maybe even spinosad, which is uh, bacterial uh, control. These are all organic, but there could still be risks. So when we're using some of these uh, even organic sprays if you will uh, be sure you're just spot treating you know you've done all of these other things you've done step uh, principle number one through principle number nine but when you get to this tenth one using chemicals or sprays sparingly be sure you're doing just that using them sparingly there's no need to Be spraying large areas, especially if you've used your cultural controls, used your mechanical controls, you've sanitized good, you're rotating your crops. You shouldn't have to use even organic products very much at all. And, of course, if you have to use pesticides, only use pesticides when there's really no other practical option. But I believe that if you can follow these 10 steps, of course, let's summarize... Number one, we're choosing our plant varieties that have naturally fewer pest problems. Number two, we've got to remember healthy plants are less susceptible to pests, but stressed plants uh, may actually attract them. Number three, we're going to anticipate problems and know the life cycle of the plant uh, of the pest problems we may encounter. Number four, we need to be scouting for pest problems. Scouting regularly. At least look over your plants three times a week. Particularly in the summer. Number five, we're practicing good sanita- sanita- sanitation. I keep messing that word up, Mr. Producer. We're going to practice good sanitation by disposing of disease materials and not composting those one bit. Number six, we're using crop rotation. From year to year, we're planting something different in different areas. And number seven, we're encouraging natural controls, trying to attract the good insects the predatory insects number eight we're using mechanical controls like hand picking spraying with water tilling the soil row covering our crops Uh, number nine we're utilizing cultural controls uh, of course planting at the right time mulching things like that and number 10 when we have to use some kind of spray some kind of product we only use it sparingly we only use it sparingly, using spot treatments rather than full-on out blast sprays. You know, so gang, uh, I think that if we look at how we're doing things in our landscape, if we're looking at what we're doing, we can follow some of these principles. Uh, make our uh, make our gardens a more habitat for nature, for good insects, and let them do the work for us. That's really what it's about. So I think this weekend you can get out there. Give me that- And you can give organic gardening a go with these 10 steps. We'll probably talk more about this in the future. So join us next week for New Southern Garden and WRWH 93.9 FM. My name is Nathan Wilson, and I hope you stay well and grow well. See you next week.